Mark chapter 8. Thank you, Lord. Beginning to read at verse 1. Excuse me. In those days the multitude being very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days, and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, and break and give to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Let's stop there, but keep your Bible open, for we hope to be referring to not only this portion, but maybe to other parts of this chapter. Let's pray. Father, so conscious of your presence. And Lord, when we're like this, sometimes we don't know what to say or how to bring your word in case we ruin things. In case, Lord, our voices are heard and not the spirits. But Father, we trust you to take over all things in your sovereignty. And even in a a weak, stuttering stammering man that you would take the words and wing them to our hearts. God, fortify us in the inward man and woman and draw people to thy son. Save souls for time and eternity. Strengthen your people. Lord, if there's anything in my mouth that you don't want me to say, then take it from me. But whatever you would have my lips to speak, that I ask you, Father, this evening, that you would then use my lips as you touched Isaiah's lips with a live coal from off the altar. And Lord, may you use my lips as an instrument, as a vessel, as a trumpet to sound to the gathering of thy people. May they gather unto our great Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we all leave here conscious of God in the house and speaking to our hearts. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake and we ask it for his glory alone. Amen. In Mark chapter 8, verse 1, the first line says this. In those days, the first three words are, in those days. In what days? Well, they're days of blessing. 
And they're days of anointing. They're days of salvation and deliverance. That's the days that chapter 8 is in the middle of. It's as though Jesus is walking around and there's heaven has come to earth. The kingdom of God has invaded the realms of man. Destitute, depraved humanity who can't save himself. Lying in his own depravity and state of illness and ill health and sinfulness. And heaven in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth. In those days. That's the type of days that Mark chapter 8 and verse 1 starts with. It's a continuation from Mark chapter 7. Remember last week we called this, look what the Lord has done. This is part two of it. And last week we looked at how the Lord Jesus, he comes to the man with a legion, a great horde of many demons and devils residing, dwelling, and abiding within him. And Christ meets this man on the shores of Galilee, and he casts out the devil from him into a herd of swine, and the swine run down a hill and run into the sea, and they're drowned. And this man is found sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he's clothed and in his right mind. Here is an example of what it really is like when a man or a woman truly, truly, when they truly meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life is never the same. Your life is turned around. You're changed forever from the inside to the out. Religion tells us to do, do, do. Christ said, it is done. It is done. When he died at Calvary. And Christ in the inside of the man, inside of the woman, changes from the inside to the out. While religion is an outward manifestation of things trying to work to the inside. Never happens. Never works. You never clean up your act. You never get yourself right. You can never do it. And you're like the people around Decapolis. And it's like this man, Legion. He's helpless, totally, completely useless to himself and helpless to gain heaven. He cannot make it nor reach it nor attain it. This man is destitute. And so is every man and woman who have not met personally the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we are outside of him. Total depravity of human nature is our total, our full, and our complete inability to save ourselves. But if you meet Christ in a real way, and if you meet him in a true fashion, and you meet Jesus at the cross, you will find that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse you from all sin, and you will never be the same. You'll never be the same. This man, Legion, with the horde, a great horde, the many demons and devils residing in him, he has been set free. He's been saved, as it were, from himself and from the ravishes of sickness and sin and from the bondage of the devil. He has been redeemed and delivered and liberated And this man now becomes a wonderful witness. 
He becomes a tremendous testifier, an honorary herald. He becomes an enamored advertiser of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's fully taken up. He's fully taken in. He's fully engulfed from within to without by Christ. Christ is flowing from him. Jesus is his life. Jesus is his entire world, his universe. Jesus is his center. Jesus is his everything. This man has nothing but Jesus. He's enamored by him. He can't help speak about him and talk about him. This man, who we talked about last week, goes to Decapolis with a heart that has been captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Old Puritan called Samuel Rutherford, he once wrote about coming to Christ and the first time he encountered him like this man did and like the multitude did around the area of Decapolis. When Jesus came into the life, when Jesus met them, whether it was a beach, a mountainside, a roadside, or wherever, this man, Samuel Rutherford, thinking about the Lord Jesus, enamored by him and in love with him, he says, since he hath looked upon me, mine heart is not mine own, for he hath run away to heaven with it. He says, my heart, my heart is so full of Jesus as though he took it and he brought it to heaven with him. He has my heart. Christian, does Christ have your heart? I'm not asking you, do you feel a certain way or do you think a certain thing or do you go to a certain church? I'm asking you, does Christ have your heart? For when Christ has the heart, all other things peel into insignificance. And when Christ has the heart, and he's indwelling that heart, in other words, if he has run away to heaven with it, nothing else on this earth will satisfy the soul but to be closer to him, to have fellowship with him, and to love him more and more every day. Does Christ have your heart? Do you love him? This enamored advertiser is now in the region of Decapolis, meaning ten cities. Ten full cities in the whole region. And this man can't help himself but witness for Christ. Remember, this man in the region of Decapolis was the man of infamy. Everybody knew him. He was full of devils. He was probably the most wicked man that anybody had come across because the devil was residing in him. The devil known as Legion, for we are many, he says. And this man, everyone was either afraid of him, so they tried to bind him, or else they just kept away birth from him. They cast him out to the tombs, and the mountainside, he's cutting himself with stones. He is tormented day and night. And this man now is in Decapolis. And as he's preaching, as he's witnessing, his heart is taken away by Christ. This man of infamy, this man of the tombs of the graveside, and of the caves of the mountain, this man is an outlaw. And he's an outcast who was cast out. That's who this man is. Nobody wanted him. This man was a reject of society. 
He was a hopeless case in the eyes of humanity. He cried with torment and nobody cared. No one wanted to know. He broke every chain that bound him and every fetter. And now this man is preaching with passion. He is confessing with conviction. He is talking and telling the truth of absolute truth of Christ. He is claiming Christ and he is compelled with confidence. In other words, he has met him. He has received from him. His heart belongs to him. He has been changed from the inside to the out. The devils are gone and he belongs to Jesus. This man has confidence wherever he goes. I know who I am and I belong to him. The reason we know he's so passionate is because when he publishes the great news through it, gives the idea he's in herald, gives the idea like someone going through the city who has seen the city on fire crying, fire, fire, fire. That's the idea. Jesus, he says, Jesus, Jesus set me free. It's all in Christ. It's all in him. And outside of Christ, we have nothing. This man is compelled with confidence through a collision course with the compassion of Christ when he meets him at the coast of Galilee. And here's the thing. When you go back to Mark chapter 5, we have the feeding of the 5,000. That is 5,000 men beside women and children. Maybe up to 15,000 mouths to feed with five body loaves and two small fish. And Christ does that and he, he tells his disciples to get into a ship to go to the other side. And across that, uh, the Sea of Galilee, the storm comes and the darkness comes and the wind and the rain comes. And the, uh, and the waves come into the ship and Jesus comes out in the midst of the sea, in the middle of the night, through the storm, walking upon the waves of the sea, talks to the storm, and the storm shuts up. Now I'm wondering, since we're going across to the Gadarenes, since we're sailing here, Peter, John and James and so on, maybe there's something on the other side that Jesus must need go and fix. And who was on the other side but Legion? The man was in the mountains, tormented day and night. The devil had him bound and captive. And all the people had him in fetters and in chains and he broke them. But he couldn't get rid of the demons and the devil. And do you ever wonder sometimes, did he look across the sea from the mountain and see the great rolling clouds come in and turning black and dark and swirling around? Could he see what was going on? I wonder sometimes, was he the devil on the other side who prayed against them? Who knows? And his monotonous day, in fact, his tormented days, Little did he know we're about to end for that morning. He sees the ship come to land and he runs down. And the demons are squealing and crying out of this man. And as they're squealing and crying out of him, they realize this is the Christ of God. Almighty God clothed and veiled in flesh. They fall at his feet. You know, that was the last night that man would live such a life. For Christ would change him forever. 
That was the last time that man would live in torment for Christ would cast out the devil. That night was the last day that man would be crying in the tombs and cutting himself with stones because Christ would set him free. Freedom reigns in this place, we sang. And that man, if he was here, he'd probably stand on his head and spit nickels and do cartwheels and say, you want to talk about freedom? Let me tell you about Jesus. You see, when you have really, truly experienced Jesus, then you realize the freedom that Jesus brings. Salvation is great, but the liberty is bountiful. And this man sees the boat, comes down, falls at the feet of Jesus. And it's his last day in the old life. And he's found sitting clothed and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. Little did he know that his breakthrough was just around the corner. Are you praying for something? Are you struggling with something? Do you think there's no answer to prayer for what you're looking for? And you're about to give up or maybe something has annoyed you and tormented you. Don't give up. Your breakthrough is just around the corner. Don't be through praying, but pray through. This man, it's his last night in the tombs. And this man comes down the shore after the storm, sees the boat. And the first person Jesus meets, he gets out, is this man, Legion. The Lord had compassion on him. You know, no matter how low a life goes, you know that alcoholic or that drug addict or that prostitute or that person we don't want to know, the down and out and all this sort of stuff, you know those people that society rejects and puts out and is afraid of and casts away, don't let them sit beside me in church, I'll move to the other side. You know those ones. Jesus had compassion. Had compassion. You see, in Mark chapter 5, it says, and he de- that, uh, in verse 19, Jesus sent him home. He says, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, had compassion on thee. And the word compassion uh, is different than in our reading this evening, Mark chapter 8 and verse 2. The Lord said to his disciples, looking at the multitude, I have compassion on them. It's a different word, although it's the same in our English. There's a difference in what is happening here. He says, go and tell the people, your family and friends, go and tell them the great things that God has done. If you remember last week, as many as keep, there's always more to tell about Christ. There's every angle, every way, every direction, every point and every turn. And there's always more that you can tell about the goodness, the greatness and the glory and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's always more in a redeemed life. Always more. And this man couldn't tell enough. He told one city, two cities, three, right through to ten cities. Everybody he seen, he was preaching, teaching, he was grabbing. He was telling them, let me tell you about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I had compassion on me. The idea here in the word compassion is the word ileo. And it means tell them... It gives the idea that to help one who is afflicted or seeking help. For example, blind Bartimaeus heard Jesus is coming into town. And all the tumult of the crowd happens. And 
Jesus is passing. He can't see, but he knows and he hears the cries. Jesus, Jesus. So he starts shouting. Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus hears. Jesus stops. And Jesus comes to him. It's the same idea that Jesus cures him of his blindness. He had compassion in the midst of a multitude. He heard the voice of one who's greatly afflicted and in need. And Jesus had compassion. That's the idea. And he says, go tell him how you in great need, how the Lord hath had compassion. What he done. In other words, it's the action of the heart. The heart of God to you. Go tell him. Do you realize the heart of God to you? Do you realize the heart God has for you? If you and I can really, truly, fully get the grips of the great big heart that God has, the heart of compassion and mercy and love toward us, then we would do an awful lot better. Here, this man goes to Decapolis and he preaches what, how great things, notice Jesus has done. The Lord says, go say, tell how great things the Lord has done. This man goes and says, how great things Jesus has done. You know what he's saying? See, this man is coming. He's Almighty God. He is Messiah. He's the one we waited for. The only one that can help. Yes, the compassion of the Lord was upon and toward this man. And it moved in action. That's the idea. And the man received that of God. And if you don't receive what God has for you, then God will always withhold it and say, it's here if you want it. But many Christians and many people and many of the unsaved turn away the compassion and the grace and the love of God. And they say, no, I couldn't be loved. Such piety. I want to be holy. Don't tell me that I'm okay and loved. The Lord says, well, you can be like that, but I still love you. But if you won't receive it, that's your fault. This man cried for it. Blind Bartimaeus cried for it. And Jesus heard every cry. And he answers every prayer. And he came and he had compassion. They received. The compassion of Christ changes lives. lives. The compassion of Christ converts the lost. The compassion of Christ convinces the doubter. The compassion of Christ casts out the devil. The compassion of Christ cures the conscience and the compassion of Christ cultivates the heart to make it love him even more. The compassion of Christ can conquer the grave and the compassion of Christ captivates the soul. The compassion of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And the compassion of Christ cleared us from all debt. And the compassion of Christ covers us in all his righteousness. The compassion of Christ was on the cross. And if you won't receive it, it's there. The salvation's been done. The work has been done. The the debt has been paid. If you won't receive it, you could go to hell without it. Legion preached Christ. He preached Jesus unto Decapolis. And the compassion of Christ catapulted him into controversy. He was to be a witness, a a living, walking, 
vivid, unanswerable demonstration of what Christ can do for a man. I want you to get this. Legion was a witness, a living, walking, vivid, unanswerable demonstration of what Christ can do for a man or for a woman who call upon him. In other words, your testimony, Christian, should be a vivid demonstration. Your healing testimony should be a vivid, unanswerable demonstration. In other words, undoubtable that there is a God in heaven. That there is a Savior who changes lives. I wrote this sitting in my study yesterday. This is what I wrote, big black letters. Note to self. (laughs) Note to self. Our glory must never be in what we can do or what we have done for Christ, but in what Christ has done and what Christ can do for us. I have nothing. This is not false humility. This is reality. This is a man who came from nowhere. This is a man who was forgotten about in many ways. A man whom the times of alcohol and drugs had ravished. And I had nothing and nothing could, no one could help me. But like Leeds and I met Jesus and he changed my life. I have nothing to glory in save the cross of Jesus Christ. And you have nothing to glory in save the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh boy, but when you come with a full and true heart to the cross, I can tell you something, you'll never be the same. And he'll fill you with his spirit. And you'll go out there as a child of the kingdom. And you'll be able to pray for the sick. And you'll be able to go and witness for Christ and talk about his glory. And you'll share his glory in the kingdom. But take note. Note to self. It's his glory, not ours. It's his glory. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 24 says, Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. I know what God is saying to us. If you want to glory, then glory in this. Listen, Legion, see when you go to Decapolis, tell them how great things the Lord has done. Not you, Legion. He says, Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. See the word understandeth? It's the word shakil. You know what it means? It means that he has turned his mind to me and he realizes, you ready? People fall off their seat when you mention this word, but this is what it means. That when they turn their mind to me, their whole prosperity. Their whole success in this life and in the next is from me. He says, and I understand that. I'm glory in it. Now, please don't leave here and say, I say that you give me money and you can get a, a jet or a plane before you go home. Please don't do that. That's not what I say. 
For all that we are and all that we have is fixed and focused and flows in him and from him. And it's not of ourselves. The idea here is that he understands who I am, that I'm his fountain of living waters, that I am the one, the source of all living and of all life. I am the one of plenty who gives to you. He says, now I understand and glory in it. In other words, I glory in my God alone. And he knows me. The word know is a, knoweth is yada, means to be aware. He's aware of me. He has, listen to this, he has discovered me. He has discovered me. I think that's amazing. You see, we didn't discover him because we went looking for him in our unsaved state. We discovered him because he came, found us, rescued us, redeemed us, and brought us back to himself. Now we're discovering who he is. And this evening again, we're discovering all over again who our God is. And when Christ got off that boat on that beach, Legion discovered him. Really, he came through the storm. He walked in water. He came to the other side, and he stood on an old beach. Do you think he didn't know that Legion was there? course he did. I believe he went for him. I believe he went for him. It means to be aware, to discover, to be acquainted with me. In other words, he's discovered me and he's finding me out. (laughs) Oh God, let us find you out even more. Father, would you come here and let us find you out? Let us discover you. Let us discover the riches that are in you. Let us discover the glory of God. Let us discover the beauty of our Savior. Oh, let us discover this evening more and more about him. It means to be acquainted with him. Listen, and that he knows me by experience. See, if you want a glory, understand who I am. Understand it's off in me, from me, to you. It's called grace. It's all of grace. And understand it. Be acquainted with me. Discover who I am. Seek me and you shall find me. And that's the idea. He says, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. And if you know me, if you discover me and find out more about me, he says, then you have something to glory in. Because we have nothing to glory in if we don't know him. You have nothing to glory in if you don't have Christ. And you have nothing to glory in if you haven't been to the cross. And you have nothing to glory in if you've never met him. There's nothing to glory in but Jesus and Jesus only. We glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have to settle myself and get too excited. How can you not? When you sense that you're just delving into him. Look, we're only getting started here, by the way. Well, we're, not going to, we're not going to do it all. You're okay. A few people slid under the seat there, I think. Here we have. He says, you understand me, you know me, you know me by experience. You have experienced me. I would ask you, Christian, this is not a condemnation now. This is for you to seek more of him. I love Jesus. I want you to think to yourself, when was the last time, Lord, I had an experience with you? I mean, a real experience with him. 
When was the last time? I had a great experience. Friday, no, Saturday morning, yesterday morning before I wrote this, I got up early and was way down the river. The dog was in swimming and was walking along the side. And just one word captivated me. I was praying and says, Lord, can I just stop here for a moment? And will you show me yourself for a moment? Because if you show me just a moment of you, it'll take me forever. It'll take me to eternity. It'll cure every ill. It'll heal every disease. Cause me to fall on my knees and cry glory. Just give me a moment. And I experienced God at a riverside. And he just gave me a wee moment. So, so he put his arms around me and says, I'm here, son. Here I am. Oh, glory. They're precious. Golden nuggets deeply veined in this very life that we tend to strive in, God says, my glory is like golden nuggets and a moment of it is enough for you. Notice what the Lord says, I exercise. I exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. Three, loving kindness, judgment, and exercise. See the word loving kindness? Do this more like a Bible study now. I'm going into somewhere else I wasn't meant to go, but let's go into it, man. It's the word chesed. And chesed gives the idea, I exercise my love upon you. In other words, I exercise myself to love you. In other words, God's love comes freely from the moving of the will of God toward me. That's not arrogant. That's what the Bible tells me in Christ. It gives the idea of mercy. He says, I exercise my mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is when we do not receive that which we do deserve. I'll say it again. Mercy is when we do not receive that which we do deserve. I deserved to be lost. I deserved to be like Legion. I deserved to be in torments under the power and the spell of the devil in hell for all eternity. But he didn't give me it because mercy found me. Mercy found me and mercy found you. Give you a couple of verses. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to maybe do another week at this. I'm going to wrap this up in a moment. In Job chapter 10 and verse 12, listen to the cries of Job, a man who's lost everything. He's lost his family and his house. The devil blew his house down. He's lost his family and he's heartbroken, lost all his, his cattle and his 
very prestige in society. Everything's gone. His very health, full of sore boys. He scratches himself like legion, with, only with sharp, broken pottery. He's tormented with this. But listen to what he cries in Job chapter 10 and verse 12. He says, Thou hast granted me life and favor. Thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. In all of this, Lord, what are you going through, brother, sister, friend in here tonight? What have you been through, or what are you going through? And what's your preservation in it all? How do you manage? How do you cope? How do you get through? What sustains you in the midst of it all is this. The visitation of God. The visitation of the favor of Almighty God. Thou hast granted me life and favor. See the word favor? It's loving kindness. It's said. It's the same. The Lord says, I exercise favor upon you. He says, Lord, in the midst of all of this, you have exercised your will. You have exercised your heart. The word exercise is the word asa, and or asa. And asa means to make, to do, to perfect. To perform. And I says, like, when the Lord made the heavens and the earth, He did it. And Job says, You did it. You brought me through. You give me life. You brought me into hope. Your favor was upon me, O God. Your mercy find me in the depths of despair and hell. You visited me. You know what it means? You came beside me and you drew in close, O God. And you bestowed your love on me. And you said, you're going to get through. I'm going to bring you through it. You're going to be okay. You're going to rise up. You're going to come out. You're going to overcome this. He says, and your grace and your mercy and your favor came and you visited me with it. And you lavished me with your love. That's how I get through, oh God. That's how you get through. That's how you get through. gives the idea of someone who comes and becomes your oversight personally. God's Spirit comes to Job in the midst of the darkest part of his whole life. In the midst of his grief and sorrow and heartache and emptiness and loneliness and his lostness. And he, and he comes to him and he draws alongside. He says, Job, I'm overseeing it all, son. I love you. I have something for you. You trust me and I'm going to bless you. You're going to come out. You're going to be victorious. You're going to overcome. You're going to be great. Don't you worry, Job. I'm your oversight. That's the idea. And he oversees him through every day, even whenever he's feeling, oh, Lord, I can't feel you. Yet the Lord says, I'll never leave you. And he says, Thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. We preserve it gives the idea that the Lord came like a soldier or like a watchman who stood on the walls looking for danger. And the Lord says to the devil and the demons in darkness of hell, Enough. Thus far, no further. Let me show you another one of these and I'll I'll finish. Daniel chapter 9, sorry, rather 1 and verse 9. 
It says, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the princes of the eunuchs. The word favor is kesed, loving kindness. God already moved on the hearts of those who were his enemies, the princes of the eunuchs. God had already moved in hardened hearts, Babylonian hearts, foreign hearts. God had already moved upon them and gave Daniel favor and loving kindness. He favored Daniel and he caused others to favor him. And when Daniel came in, they just loved Daniel as if God himself was loving, for God was sovereign and moved on them. Let's start praying for those who don't like us or love us. That our sovereign God would start moving in other situations and moving them. Heap coals of fire on their head and maybe they'll love you in return. You know, the Lord exercises loving kindness. This loving kindness drew near on the ship, from the ship, to a man called Legion found him on a beach sorted out his life drew him to himself filled him with his love and sent him forth in victory sent him forth in victory let me tell you about Jesus and what was he saying he was preaching basically look this man of infamy this outcast this one who's cast out this outlaw this demonized creature. He says, look at me. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. He's preaching round ten cities and he's saying, look what the Lord hath done. Do you know the weak horse that is no secret what God can do? What he's done for others, he'll do for you. That man who wrote that was with John Wayne, the actor, one time. And John Wayne says to him, it's the time of the singing cowboys, all the rage over in Hollywood. And John Wayne says to him, I think his name was Stephen or Stuart, maybe. I can't remember his name. Anyway, John Wayne says to him, what's this I hear of you hitting the sawdust trail? You know, starting to dry yourself up and get yourself together. He got saved, this man. He was at a, a, a crusade. Got saved. And he turned around and he says, John, it is no secret what God can do. And what he's done for others, he'll do for you. And this man became a witness for Christ. And out of that came that course. Because this man was an alcoholic. This man had lost all his revenue and his money. This man had become nothing compared to what he was. But when he met Christ, he says, see what he's done for me. He can do for you. God bless his word. Time's run on and I've so much there to tell you, but maybe if the Lord will, I don't know, I might even change it next week, but maybe do part three. You know what it takes? It takes the Lord to bring a settling. Just like before we get up when Gary was leading the worship. It takes the Lord to move upon that heart. And that's what he's done tonight. And he's speaking tonight. And if you don't know Christ, you have nothing to glory in. Are we any better than you who are unsaved? The answer is absolutely not. Not in the sense of man. But are we better for the kingdom? Yes, we are. For we are children of God and you can join us if you come and give your life to Christ. And may you do so. Gary.
I don't know what you're going to sing. Can I guess? No? Go ahead. Whatever you have there. Whatever you have. Praise God. Tuesday night we will be here at 7.30. Bible study. The Lord's will. And we're going, to do, we're going to look at the marvels of Mark again. And then next Tuesday evening, if you can keep this and mark this, please, everyone's welcome now. Not this Tuesday evening, but next at 7.30. Pastor Lee Ship from Baton Rouge, Louisiana is coming. From the New Testament Covenant Church, I think you call it. He's coming to bring a Bible study. And Pastor Terry Fittis from Lauren Elam is bringing him down. So why don't you come along and bring someone with you? And that's at 7.30, not this Tuesday evening. But the next, God bless you all. Thank you for your attention. Let's sing Amazing Grace, please, Gary. On the most famous. Praise the name of Jesus. Yeah.
praise God. 